where his passion for the martial arts comes from, how to not leave yourself susceptible or vulnerable to rape or physical abuse, the three most important money automations that you should have set up, two things to do to ensure that you spend less and that you save more, his biggest money mistake that everyone should avoid, why credit cards will destroy your finances, and so much more coming right up. This is episode number 333 with the creator of the Affluent Blueprint, Mel Abraham. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to Nick Carrier's Best You Podcast. Do you want to go from unmotivated to work out to more disciplined than ever before? If so, then go check out the Best You 10-Week Transformation Program that gives you the ability to set a worthy fitness goal, create a productive and workable game plan, and maximizes your discipline through accountability. Just visit go.nickcarrier.com slash 10-week program to get started from anywhere today. Again, visit go.nickcarrier.com slash 10-week program. Today, I am so stoked to bring you Mel Abraham. Mel is a CPA by education, but an entrepreneur by exhilaration, and he's the author of the number one bestseller, The Entrepreneur Solution, The Modern Millionaire's Path to More Profit, Fans, and Freedom. After finding a cancerous tumor in his bladder larger than a baseball in June of 2019 and successfully conquering it within 18 months, Mel began to openly teach his The Affluence Blueprint because his cancer journey spotlighted the immediate and urgent need for entrepreneurs to find financial liberation and peace of mind. This is the very process and system that he's used to build his business and more importantly, his wealth through business that allowed him to completely shut things down to focus on what's most important. Now, before diving into the episode, be sure you're subscribing to Nick Carrier's Best You Podcast on the Apple Podcast app, iTunes, Spotify, or YouTube, and be sure you share this episode with a friend while you're listening. Just send them to nickcarrier.com slash podcast. And if you enjoy the show, I'd love it if you leave a five-star rating and review. But without further ado, here's to getting closer and closer to your best you with the one and only Mel Abraham. All right, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to Nick Carrier's Best You Podcast. Today, I'm super excited to bring on the one and only Mel Abraham. Mel, I just want to start off by saying thanks so much for spending the time with me today. Oh, my God. Thanks, Nick. Thanks for asking me. Yeah, man, of course. Of course. So I'm super fired up because money is something that I've begun begun to learn more and more about over the last couple of years. It was something that I've never, I wasn't initially super motivated by money. I was super motivated by by passion, but I've gotten more and more motivated by money, but also just because of not for money itself, because of what can money can, can do and, and provide for you and for the people that you love and and things of that nature. Um, and so you're a CPA by education, like you say, but an entrep- entrepreneur by exhilaration. But I don't really want to start there, actually. I kind of want to go into something different because uh, I learned that you were a director and chief instructor at Puma Karate, a, a martial arts studio. And you're also uh, the director and founder at the Save Foundation, which was established to educate, assist, and train people, primarily women and children, related to abuse and violence. And so there's some sort of passion that you have around this idea of martial arts and, and self-defense. And so I'm I'm really interested as to where that came from. Wow. Okay. Uh, so interesting. Uh, both of those. So I own. I I had owned my school for eleven years, um, but I got involved in the martial arts primarily. So I didn't know what martial arts was. I mean, I knew what it was, but I never really took it. I wanted to do judo because I saw a judo demonstration when I was a kid. And my mom 
She's like, I'm not going to let my kids learn how to fight. So she thought we'd be fighting all the time. And little did she know that once I started in the martial arts, I got in less fights than, than I did then before. But um, I would happen to be walking through a parking lot and there was a guy that was walking through the parking lot, putting flyers on cars with a t-shirt that said Karate Do Academy on it. And I, I stopped him and we started chatting. We ended up chatting for a while. And he ended up becoming my very first instructor. And, you know, this was when you were how old? I was in my teens. Okay. You know, and so what I did, um, I was looking for, I knew that I wasn't going to be big enough to play football in college. And so I was looking for another form of exercise. And I said, so it was literally probably a month and a half, two months after I met him in the parking lot that we went to the, to the dojo and walked in and he recognized me and he remembered my name and we chatted and I go, Oh, there's something about this guy. Um, and so that was, I got my first black belt under him and, and uh, Sensei Nishiyama. And, and so that kind of started the journey in the martial arts, but I fell in love with the martial arts. I fell in love with the discipline of it and the, the, um, what it all stood for, the, the traditional martial arts, the, the martial way, if you will, um, to do that. And then during my tenure, so I, I lived and trained in Japan starting, you know, I went there the first time in 88, 89 and spent time there uh, training with my a new, a new instructor in, in a Japanese style of uh, jujitsu. Uh, and uh, he was a 17th generation uh, bloodline of, of uh, samurai bloodline. And uh, so I trained very, very traditional in, in the martial ways. And then I came back and uh, decided that I wanted to open up a school. So I, I started the whole uh, the martial arts studio. And it was there that caused me to, you know, I was doing a lot of training on self-defense and, um, and teaching people protective details. I was doing uh, bodyguarding work, guarding work and that kind of thing for a little while. And uh, this is interesting because no one usually walks down this path with me. And, uh, and I had a young lady who trained with me. She was a black belt uh, and she was a phenomenal fighter. And, uh, and she could fight with any of us and, and was amazing and a beautiful young gal. And she came in on a Monday. I remember and we had sliding glass doors on the office. So it was a see-through office, but she came in, she closed the door and she just broke down crying and said, uh, can I speak to you? And I said, sure. And I said, what's going on? And she said, she tells, she tells me that she went to a party over the weekend and that at the party, someone slipped something into her drink and she woke up not remembering a thing sexually assaulted. Mm-hmm. And, and it was that moment where I, I kind of talked to my instructors and said, we're doing a disservice here. We're making a mistake. We're teaching people how to defend themselves, but if they're not aware of the threat before they have to defend themselves, they're still in danger. I said, if they would have drugged me, they could have raped me too. And I said, so I then started studying and understanding uh, how how prevalent it is the domestic violence and and rape and and abuse against children. And it just, it floored me. But 
I did, you know, going out and teaching self-defense was one thing. I said, how about we educate people? How about we teach people that no is a complete sentence? How about we teach people to not do these things that, that what a true man is like and, and those kinds of things. And so it was through that, that we created the, I created a charitable foundation and it was based on the teaching principles of a friend by the name of Gavin DeBecker, who wrote the book, A Gift of Fear. And, uh, and he was a violent psychologist. So he, he talked about the psychological elements and indicators of, of incidents before they became incident, uh, the reality. And so I would go into, through the, through the organization, I would go into high schools, I would go into elementary schools, I'd go into colleges, and I would, I would speak about it. To, to try and educate people about, about the, the, this thing. Self-defense is the last, is, it happens to be the last resort. It, what I really need is that, is that they understand and they recognize that they put themselves in a precarious position and, or that they see it's a precarious position and they could avoid it uh, before it gets to anything. And so that's, that's kind of the genesis of, of the whole SAVE Foundation and, and that work. Wow. I didn't know we were necessarily going to go go here or there. That I, I, I absolutely love it, but but now I'm curious. You know, for those people listening, like you said, it is more prevalent than any of us, or you know, a lot of us might might know. What are those? What are like two things that you would go to to people and teach in regards to how you can make sure that you're educated on how uh, not just to defend yourself, but you know that you're not or you're not as vulnerable in the first place. I guess. Well, I think the, the first thing a guy needs to understand, um, well, a guy or a girl, but a guy needs to understand and, and, and a woman needs to understand is that, that no is a complete sentence. Once mm. she says no, you're done. Um, it's not the beginning of a negotiation. It's yeah. not a ploy. It's not any of that. Whatever you think it is, it doesn't matter how much has been, alcohol has been served. It doesn't matter any of that. And if you do one thing beyond that, Effectively, you're right. It's right. At least, at least at the, at the fundamental level, if we don't listen, that they need to understand that there is a, a level of um, respect that needs to be there. And it's not a game because these things scar people for the rest of their lives. And, and so it may, you may think it's fun in games in college or high school and, and all that stuff. It's not. That's not the way we do this. So I think that's the that's one of the first things to understand. The second is to to realize that um, most often it's not a random act; it's a chosen act. Mm-hmm. Um, for instance, there there's something called force teaming, which is something that Gavin De Becker talks about in his book. Force teaming is a is a psychological thing that they do. Like so, you're you say you're walking out of a grocery store and which if you go to grocery stores now, everything's delivered now, but if you go, you're walking out of a grocery store and you have, you have dog food in your bag and some stranger, someone comes up to you and says, Oh, we have a dog. Do we? Well, the term, the way that is phrased seems innocent and it may be truly innocent, but the effect it has, can have psychologically, is it creates a relationship that doesn't exist. 
It creates a familiarity at a deeper level that doesn't exist because of the using the, we have a dog. So there's this commonality in a dog and we, and all of a sudden you all of a sudden feel that, that type of, of connection, or that's the, that's the way that it's, it's used. I think this, the second thing to realize is that we suppress and most you can call it gut, you can call it intuition, but society has done a really incredible job of suppressing the gut instinct or the intuition, the feelings of the unconscious mind, the, the, the unconscious messages that are coming to us. And, and, and the things like saying, to, don't be silly, don't, you know, and, and, my, and one of the things that I'll, I would tell women, I said, especially, and my wife is phenomenal at doing this, okay, but especially, you know, you're traveling, say you're traveling, and say you're going to get into a, an elevator. And there's something about this guy or person, whatever it is, I, you know, that, that makes you feel uncomfortable. But what, what we typically do is say, oh, don't be silly. And we go ahead and get an elevator. Well, let's, let's look at what the elevator is. The elevator is a steel box that is soundproof, exit-proof, entry-proof, if they want it to be. And yet you just went into that box when you feel uncomfortable. So I'm saying, and why do they do that? Because we were told, pardon the expression, I don't know the language on, on, on the show, but you know, you don't want to be seen as a bitch. You don't want to be seen as a jerk. You don't want to judge people. You don't want to, you, you know, those kinds of things. But you know what? I'd rather you be alive and be judged than not. Yeah. And if that means that you take the next elevator, or my wife has actually someone, someone actually uh, uh got on an elevator with her and um and uh, she uh, and he said she, he saw her and she was at a conference and and he um, she got in the elevator. And as the doors were closing, he put his hand in the door, stopped the doors from closing. He says, I'll ride up with you. And she put her hand on the door. And she goes, oh, no, you're not off the elevator, threw his butt off the elevator. Wow. And uh, and so so I think that and we need to. In those cases, those are some of the things that that would that I would I would teach or I would tell people. And and it's not about, oh, my God, they're going to think I'm a jerk. No, I'd rather you be alive. I'd rather you be safe. And and I hate to say it. We live in a, a society that sometimes there's some bad people. All in all, most people are good, but there's some bad people. And we just just need to be smart. Yeah. We just need to be smart. Control what you can't control, and just try to make sure you're in and not those vulnerable situations as as much as you can, and you avoid those. Um, well, that's awesome stuff. I love I love that story, and and glad that we got into that. Uh, but I do want to transition a, a little bit into some of the money talk. And so, I think I think one of the things that I think is kind of harmful in in our society again is that. People are uncomfortable talking with friends and family about money. And so I'm interested, should we feel uncomfortable? Should it be a soft topic? If not, what sort of things should we be talking about? What sort of conversations should we be having? Or maybe what should we not be having? So I I think in general, people don't want to talk about money. It's a taboo subject. But here's the thing. 
I truly believe in the work that I've done over the years on myself, with myself, with my clients, with my one-on-one clients and my programs, I've noticed something and, and, and it's proven out over and over again. Most money issues are not money issues. They're money symptoms. They're symptoms of behaviors and habits that you have. Mm. And that, that's a good thing and a bad thing. You think you have a money problem. But you don't have a money problem. You have a behavior problem or a habit problem. The good news is that that means that you can change the behaviors or the change the habits. That means that once we change them, the symptoms change. The money problem changes. And so, but the challenge with that is this. No problem that I know of has ever actually been solved without a conversation, without discussing it, without having conversation around it, especially in relationships, you know, and family dynamics can be an, can be an issue, but, but especially in relationships, if we're not having conversations around the money part of the relationship, not for the sake of money for money's sake, but what, like you said, the tool it is the thing that it allows us to do. But if I see money as this demonized thing that is only for the greedy and for people that are going to take from others and 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 just to be selfish and i have a spouse that sees money as a tool to to move missions forward to create movements to 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 get behind causes what kind of conflict is that going to create and we all come to a relationship with money junk we come to it because we don't have these conversations. And the only place that we, so I, I say that the, your money stories, they're not taught, they're caught. In other words, that we pick them up through observation of what our parents did, what the media is saying, what the social media is saying, what, what uh, everyone around us is saying, because we never sat down and said, hey, did you know if we actually just put $50 away a week, we could, we could and we'd started early enough and did it regularly enough, $50 a week could turn into millions. And if we just had those conversations, we would inform, empower, and equip people. And it's not about the millions that matter. It's about the what we can do with it, the, 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 the reality of, of how that is, is wielded. Now, let me go to this other question. Sometimes in family, you may not be able to have the conversation. I have... I have uh, family members that they see my life and I, I, I live a good life. I live a blessed life, but I work for everything. I came from a white collar family. I earned it all. Now I don't gloat it. I don't, I don't talk about it much. I don't show it off, but we live comfortably and we give a lot and we take care of a lot and we have a lot of impact. We do those things and I do those quietly. Because they're not, I, I don't want to display it. Now, someone else might want to display it. But some family members don't see it that way. They see it in a different light. And that's their money issues coming through. And if they're not willing to have those conversations, and it's not about having the conversations to bring them to your side or your way of thinking. It's about having the conversations so they clarify and get a, a clear understanding of the stories going on in their head and why they see it the way they see it. 
And, and so sometimes, you know, I, I when I, I draw a, uh, like a target with, with uh, my connections and, and there's that inner circle. Those are the people that, you know, at three o'clock in the morning, they'll get there. You know, that, that you can tell them that your dirty, darkest secret and, and vulnerability and they're, they're there for you. They're also the same people that will kick your behind in a loving way when you need it, but they're not going to just say yes. And those people in that inner circle may sometimes not be family. And it may be hard for some people to understand, but it's true. Some of my family members are not in that inner circle. Some of my family members are in that inner circle. Um, but but we, we, they, that's a, a coveted spot that needs to be earned in your life. And it's not done just by blood or birth. It's done by earning it. We're going to take a brief pause in the interview really quickly because if you're somebody who is looking to achieve a fitness goal or maybe you lack motivation to get into the gym, you lack some structure in your weekly routine, or maybe you've been wanting to get back into the fitness game and get back to maybe your weight loss goal or whatever goal it is, and you're not really quite sure how. If that sounds like you, my 10-week program is for you because I help everybody set a very specific goal. Then we create a very specific strategy of the two or the three things that we need to do every single week that we believe are going to make us successful with our overall goal and that'll help you execute and I'll help you hold you accountable every single week so you do the things that you kind of know you should be doing but you're you're not quite doing them right now and that's what I've done with hundreds of people over the past 365 days over the past a little over a year and I want you to make sure that you are part of it as well and enough for me I want you to hear from the people who have done it in the past what they've got out of it and, and why they did it in the first place so here you go I cannot say enough good things about Nick's 10-week program. I have always been somebody who has worked out but never really had a fitness goal. If anything, I really wanted to achieve. It was more so just to stay in shape. And Nick does a great job of helping you not only define the goal but also realize what steps you need to take to get there. Tomorrow, as of my weigh-in week nine, I hit my goal of losing 25 pounds in 10 weeks. Just the whole methodology of the program with it being one big goal followed by some smaller goals to help me reach that big goal and then the weekly commitments to help me reach those smaller goals. During these times, it's helped strengthen my mental health and strengthen my focus and really made sure to hold me accountable to my goals. I'm so happy that I was able to hit the goal and uh, so much so that I decided to do another 10 weeks with Nick. I would recommend it to anybody, no matter what your goals are, if it's weight loss, if it's running a shorter mile, if it's anything you would like to achieve, I think that this program gives you the tools to set yourself up for success. But one of the biggest benefits for me, and the biggest takeaway I had was one I wasn't necessarily set out to improve upon, and that was building more self-confidence and really instilling self-accountability. The program was great. Um, I'm doing it again a second time to continue my weight loss, and I just can't recommend it enough. So again, guys, if you lack motivation, if you lack structure, if you want to get back into your fitness game, but you're not really sure how, then I want you to make sure you go to nickcarrier.com slash 10-week programs. Again, nickcarrier.com slash 10-week programs to learn more. For now, let's get back to the interview. No, I, I think that was really key. You know, early on, you talked about how having the conversation is super important so that you can educate, educate, empower, and inform and equip people so that they realize that, like, look, if you do $50 a week every single week over a long period of time, like, you can actually build a lot of wealth. And I, I thought that was key. And then I really thought 
it was key around like, you know, it's not like everybody that you want to have this money conversation with. You have yeah. to, you have to make sure you have it with the, the, the trusted individuals in, in your inner circle. So I thought that was key as well. Um, one of the things that you said that, that I've heard you say before, and that I absolutely love is that most money issue, most money issues aren't money issues. They're symptoms of kind of like behavioral and habit issues. And one of the things that you say can help ensure that you don't make bad money decisions based off of negative emotional issues is automating your finances. And so based off of that, what are some automations that we should be doing? Like, What are the different automations that we should have in place with our money? So first things first, here's what happens. When we're making financial decisions, investment decisions or anything, when our emotions go up, our intellect goes down. So our financial smarts, just tank when we make it from an emotional place. Um, so a couple of things from an automation standpoint. Uh, I believe that one, we all need, I know people talk about emergency fund, I call it a peace of mind fund, but you need that cushion. Um, and so I use high yield cash accounts. These are not, they're not, they're high, let's say higher yield cash accounts than a savings account. They're not high yield. I mean, they, they're earning you half a percent these days or 0.6 or something, but it's better than your 0.03, okay? Um, but they're fully liquid, they're fully insured, and, and there are no fees, and, and you'll at least earn something in them. And so one of the things that we, we do is, is make sure that if I need to put, if I need to accumulate $2,000 in, in, in an account to to have there for an emergency fund or a peace of mind fund, and I can only do it at $50 uh, a month, then I'm gonna have an automatic transfer that automatically goes every, at the first of the month, 15th of month, 10th of month, wherever you set it, to that high yield cash account, out of sight, out of mind, I want it out of the way and not in your spending account where the expenses are. If it's in the spending account, there's too much tendency to spend it. My wife loves to bake, she loves to cook, and, and we have this like cake plate um, on the counter with this glass dome over it and she'll bake stuff and she bakes some amazing stuff. Um, no sugar, no, you know, all that stuff because of my, my cancer journey and all that. And she puts them in this glass bowl and, and it's sitting there with this cover on, just like you would see in a, in a deli or a bakery and everything. And every time I walk by it, I go, oh, just a little piece. And I take a little piece. That's the same thing with your money. You know, if it's sitting in the account, there may be a tendency to go, well, I got the money. In All right, screw it. I'm just going to go buy that. And before you know it, you overspend. Before you know it, you don't have the money to pay your, your, your bills. Before you know it, you, you're starting to dig into credit cards because you spent it on something that wasn't there. So, so I say you automate it and get it out. That's one. Two. It, I want people to start exercising their investing muscle. Remember, if we said that it's a behavior, it's a behavior. And so we need to create a, a, a better behavior, a habit of investing. Now, you may not have very much money invest, so you don't invest now. You just create a second high, high yield cash account and you automatically transfer money. We did this. I started this with my son when he was 13 years old because I was giving him a, 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 a commission basically. And $50 of that commission was always going into a savings account. Do you know that today, that same $50 is still being transferred. He's 31 years old now. Yeah. It's just, it's just automatic. And in the background, it's happening, you know, plus he has other things that he's doing 
but in the background, it's happening. You get in the habit, and and it is, and and so even if it's a five dollar transfer, I just want you in the habit because five will turn to ten, which will turn to twenty, and turn to forty, will turn to eighty, and one hundred and sixty, and three twenty, and on and on and on. The fact is, is that once we develop the habit, and we remove the friction of doing it. In other words, if you had to write a check every time or call the bank every time or do any of that or log in every time, there's friction to doing it, then the likelihood of staying on that habit is, is less. So, so we want to automate that and make it happen. Um, debt payments. I will automate my debt payments. Now, I don't have any, any real debt, but I'll automate the debt payments just to, to know that everything is just I, what I, I want to do is, is try to create a system where as much of my financial life is done on autopilot and not by choice, not by effort. The reason, um, the reason I was looking for a credit card, but the, the reason we have credit cards, yes, they wanted to give us credit, but, bef- but, but the reality is and this is a, a mistake most people will get caught up in. Don't ever, 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 ever get caught up in the payment game. That's a mathematical game you will lose. Because the reason they do the payment game, if you, if you bought a, a car, if you go on a, a use, on a car lot, but one of the first questions they ask you is, what kind of payment are you looking for? See, they know, they know that if they can talk at a level of payments, they can manipulate the mathematics so they make their money and you think you can afford it and you stack payment on payment on payment and all of a sudden you're deep underwater in payments and and why that is important but why that's important with with credit cards is that what the credit card does is it removes the friction from your buying decision so here's what i want to do i want to remove as much friction from my investing and wealth building, and I will put as much friction in my buying as possible. So things like, do not store your credit cards in freaking Amazon, because you're going to go on there and just go, ah, yeah, all right, buy. Okay. If if every time you did needed to do a purchase on Amazon or any other online, you had to go and get your credit card and put it in, unless you remember your credit card numbers like I do, um, you would have to go get it. And there's an effort to doing it. Put friction in your buying decisions, you'll buy less. And, and I, I've had a lot of people will say, oh, but Mel, I pay my credit cards off every single month. I said, I know. And statistics show that you're actually overspending by 30% because of the lack of friction in your buying decision. And I, if you don't think that's the case, here's what I want everyone to do for one week. One week and tell me how you feel, all right? Everything you pay for, I want you to pay for it in cash. And, and you will see psychologically and in your soul what it feels like to start counting out the dollars every time you buy something, whether it's dinner, whether it's clothes, whether it's technology, and you're going, wait, that actually hurts a little more. I'm not ready to do that. And then one other thing to think about, I don't know that this is where you want to go with this question, uh, but is to ask yourself this. How much of my life do I give up to a pay for this? Here's what I mean by that. If I believe that my, I'm earning 100 bucks an hour, then 
I want to go buy a $2,000 flat screen TV. I always pick on flat screen TVs. I don't know why. So I want to buy a $2,000 flat screen TV. And I, and I earn a hundred bucks an hour. That means that I have to give up 20 hours of my life that I will never get back to pay for that TV. Is it worth it? And, I, and I'll be the first one to say, I'm never the person. I never tell my clients, well, I can't say never. Most often never tell my clients or, or anyone not to purchase something. All I want everyone to do is to be fully conscious and fully aware and be completely intentional with what they do. I got plenty of stuff that people go, you bought what? But I was conscious, I was aware, and I'm willing to do it, okay? And it didn't affect me financially in the sense that it was going to, I wasn't going to be able to pay the bills. I went, you know, so I didn't go into debt for it. I did it smart. And, uh, but so I'll never tell someone really ever not to buy something, but I just want people, people unconsciously buy. We can swipe our phone now and, and we buy and we're done and, and all that. So, so what happens is we unconsciously buy things and we need to yeah. stop that. Because if we go back to the 50 bucks a week, 50 bucks a week turns into $300,000 or more in a, in, in a handful of decades. No doubt. No doubt. I mean, that's so much great stuff in there. And, you know, you talked about how you want to increase the friction in order to allow you to buy things, but you want to decrease the friction in order to invest. And I think what people would see very quickly if they did that exercise for a week or for, or, or they just did things to dec- or to increase their buying friction, they would be able to realize like, oh, I can actually put an extra $100, $200 every single week, every single month. Uh, and, and now I'm going to start automating that and decreasing the friction. And it's like, the, your whole world's going to be different in six months, a year, two years down the road. And it will become easier because you've developed the muscles. You develop the yeah. habit. And, and, yeah. and, and if, you think about, if you think about the compound effect, um, and so my son's 31, his wife's 28. They just had their first child. They have three homes and a multi-million dollar network. Wow. Okay. It's because now I'm not going to say they didn't push back. You know, my son growing up was dad, you're so conservative. You're so conservative. But now he's looking at me going, Oh my God. Yeah. Cause I'm looking at it going, Let's just look at there's something called the rule of 72s. Rule of 72 says that if you can earn 7% every 10 years, your number doubles. So let's assume that, that they have a net worth of 2 million bucks and they earn 7% on that. At 41 years old, that $2 million is four. At 51 years old, it doubles again. It's now 8 million. They don't have to do a thing again. Do the work early, front load your investments early. Let time be the lever on your side. Too often we think we have time. No, 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 no. Time is your friend. Just get in there early and, and, and not think about it. I tell people, don't, don't think about retirement as retirement because you can easily put that off. Think about retirement as peace of mind. Mm. That we want today is peace of mind. Yeah, that's great. And you know, a lot of people listening are probably going to think like, dang it, I should have started earlier. But it's like, look, now the best time is, is to get going right now and start doing this stuff right now. And and I can speak from personal experience. I mean, I uh, I just bought my first house uh, actually about exactly a month ago now. And I was like making sure that all like the automatic mortgage payments and the you know power and, and all that kind of stuff was automatic because it just, it gives you so much more 
like, as you said, peace of mind yeah. throughout every single day, every single week, because you're not worrying like, oh my gosh, am I going to forget about this? That sort of thing. And then you, therefore you can spend your energy in, in other really useful ways. Um, but I want, I want to make sure I, I get you out of here on time. Mel. One of the second to last questions I, I think I want to ask you here is what is the most important money decision that you made early on in your life or early on in your career, but you didn't realize how important it was going to be until later? Gosh, um, I made, I made a lot of bad decisions early on, <laughs> um, but I think, I think, so I think the biggest thing would be that I was open to learning from those bad decisions and know that I didn't want to duplicate it. So for what, was there a, was there a particular bad decision that you felt like you learned the most from? Yeah. Well, I think early on was debt was, was going into debt and getting caught in that payment game where, where you start to look at the payments that look small and you go, oh, I can afford it. I can afford it. Cause you're not thinking about the other payments and you didn't do the work and you didn't do the math. So, uh, so I avoided payments as much as possible. Once I, you know, I got in trouble with credit cards back in the day. So we're going back a ways. Well, I remember both my brother and I, and I got an identical twin brother. So we went to a mall. He was in college. I was in college. He was in college in San Diego. I was in college up here. And I was down visiting him in San Diego. We went to one of the malls there. And we literally went from store to store applying for store credit cards. Wow. And and back then they were and they would they would give it to us. And and so we ended up with like six or seven, eight credit cards. Going. And then they turn around and do this. And on your first purchase, you're gonna you're gonna save 10 or 15%. So not only did we get the credit cards, we went and made our first purchase for 10 or 15%. We go, oh, our credit card limit is like 500 bucks. You know, I should, but I, you know, so I should use the whole thing, get the 15% on $500. And all of a sudden, before we knew it, not only did we have credit cards, we had debt and we were buried. And it was a mistake. Yeah. And so that's what led me to start to understand things like the emotions of buying, the emotions of investing, the emotions of money don't mix. Um, mm -hmm. And that debt, not all debt, I don't, I'm not one that says debt, it, all debt is, a, is the devil, but I am saying that all debt costs. It costs in money, but it also costs in stress and strain on, your, on, on you and, and your emotions. And so that, that allowed me to start looking at things very, very differently. And I do most everything without debt. The only debt we have is a little bit on the house and that's it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, Dave Ramsey, I'm, I'm here in Nashville and Ramsey's here in Nashville as well. And, you know, his, his whole thing is just about getting all the debt out of the way as quickly as possible. You know, there's, if you, if you look at strictly the numbers of it, it there, there could be other ways to maybe go about it differently from a numbers perspective. But when it comes to yeah peace of mind. And when it comes to the emotions of it, like knocking out one debt at a time, or just making sure you don't have debt is, is super, super key. So I wanted to hit on that again, but I also just want to hit on again, how you talked about the importance of building your investing muscle, because any kind of habit, you have to build a habit before you optimize it. You have to build the habit of breaking down the friction of investing $10 first before you can invest $100. You have to build the habit of working out for 20 minutes before you think you can work out for an hour, an hour and a half. But if you yeah. build the habit of showing up to do that particular thing, 
then you've broken down the friction of, of taking the action in the first place and then you can optimize it. Without, so without a key. doubt. And remember that financial independence, financial um, liberation and wealth creation is a long-term game. If mm. you're trying to do it overnight, um, you, you might. It's not likely. And even if it is, in all likelihood, you won't keep it. Yeah. Well, and... and- before I ask the last question, just to kind of say on that is, you know, I watched your, one of your most recent podcast episodes on what to do with your cash. And you kind of give your, your blueprint in regards to the different steps and stuff like that. And the reason why I bring that up is you say wealth creation is a long-term game, but if you know the framework at an early age, like for me, I probably... I learned a, you know, a similar framework to that probably just a couple of years ago and just knowing the framework and and knowing kind of where things should go and and when they should go there and in what order I'm trying to move, like gave me so much confidence and so much peace of mind and just a feeling of of, of freedom as like, okay, I have a solid understanding of what I need to be doing. And I think that's what a lot of people don't have. It's it becomes a recipe and, you know, like any chef, when they first start to want to be a chef, they follow a recipe then they can get creative, but they understand the principles. They understand the prescriptions because those don't change. And once we do that, then you live within those principles and prescriptions that you can modify. Man, that was good. That was good. I like that chef analogy. Um, Well, Mel, before I ask the last question, I want to acknowledge you first for back in the day for recognizing this issue in regards to uh, rapes and and violence and abuse and, and doing something about it because a lot of people could, could have been in that room and and that woman could have stepped in and they could have had empathy or sympathy for her and, and not ended up doing anything, but you took it, uh, took ownership of creating a foundation and, and educating people around how to make sure we uh, minimize these different instances. And then also for I want to acknowledge you for giving so much, you know, education and empowerment and equipment, if you will, to people to give them confidence on how to build freedom with their finances and, and, and liberation. So it's been, it's been awesome. I know I've learned a lot from you just been doing my research over the past few weeks and stuff like that. So I, I really appreciate all that you do. Oh my God. It, it's been a joy. And I'll tell you, doing this is a gift to me. It's, it's my joy place. It's, it's, it's what I feel like I've been called to do. And, uh, um, and I'm going to keep doing it. This is the next phase of my journey. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, you guys need to make sure you you go follow Mel on Instagram at Mel Abraham if you have not yet already. What were uh, is the other best places to get, kind of go look for your website and that kind of stuff? So Mel Abraham nine on Instagram. Um, I'm on Facebook. There's a. I also have a an affluence affluent entrepreneur uh, Facebook group. Um, we also have for for those that might be trying to figure out how to do some of this stuff. Is I have a. It's a it's a free training. It's a free money plan workshop. If they go to the moneyplanworkshop.com, it's a seven day training kind of let's, let's do a seven day crash course on your money game. That's awesome. That's awesome. Great stuff. And, and, uh, as we can see in the background, if you're watching on video, he has a podcast, the I guess I should say about my show. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's all right. The affluent entrepreneur show. And I already referenced 
one of the most recent episodes that I've watched in regards to what to do with cash. And I've, I've already actually sent it to a couple people just being like, hey, want to make sure that you you kind of understand this and you know this because it, it'll give you a lot of freedom, a lot of confidence. I'll probably have that episode linked up in the in the show notes as well so people can check it out. But uh, last question, Mel, is I think yeah. that getting closer to the best version of yourself is both a constant journey and a unique journey. I don't think we're ever at that best version of ourselves. And then I also think that uh, the way that I'm going to get there is a little bit different than the way that you're going to get to the best version of yourself. So for you personally, if there are three things that you can currently do or three things that you can currently work on to get closer to that best Mel Abraham that you can possibly be, then what are those three things that you can currently do or currently work on? Um, I think get out of myself in the sense of focus on others. Make sure that I'm focusing on others. Mm. Um, focus on gratitude and appreciating what is too often. I think we can, we tend to to look at what isn't or what could be or what we missed and, Mm -hmm. and everything, and then stay in motion. You know, there's a, there, there can be a time in our lives and I, and I, and I, I, I hesitate to say this because I don't want it to come across wrong. I don't necessarily need to work. Okay. So with that, there could be a, a possibility to say, well, I'm not going to work, but then who am I? Not, not that my work defines me, but then what am I about? What am I, you know, how am I making an impact? What, what's the purpose of me being here? And, uh, and so I never want to get complacent in life and I want to consistently grow and and keep in motion and not get stagnant yeah yeah i mean uh one of the most famous quotes is you are what you repeatedly do and and you know it's you aren't you aren't the amount of money you have you're not your job title you're not the number that stay in motion uh regardless of whether or not you might need uh you know that the the finance is part of it but uh, three great things, Mel. Really, really appreciate you today. I know a lot of people got a lot of value from this and uh, that's all we got. Appreciate it. Thank you, my friend. So good to be here and I appreciate you, man. Yes, sir. Thank you. I hope you all enjoyed this very inspirational and educational interview with Mel. Be sure you share this episode with a friend or family member, especially if you think that they need a solid financial framework by which to live their life because this could be the episode that gives them the freedom of taking control of their finances. Be sure you rate it and review it on iTunes and the Apple Podcast app and let me know what your favorite takeaway from Mel was. And be sure that you're following me and Mel on Instagram at carrier underscore best you and at melabraham9. Now remember, go take Mel's seven-day free course at themoneyplanworkshop.com. Also, be sure to check out one of Mel's latest podcast episodes on what to do with your cash. You can check all that out on the show notes at nickcarrier.com slash podcast. Be sure to decrease the friction that it takes to save. Automate as much of your finance as you can to set yourself up for success and to free yourself from financial stress. Remember, high emotions do not lead to good decision making when it comes to finances. So make sure you take the emotions out of it. Be sure to start implementing some of the three, some of these tactics and tune into Mel's show, The Affluent Entrepreneur, so you can gain clarity on how to get closer to the best version of yourself, and most importantly, so you can take action 
to get closer and closer to your best you.